Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be recapping the Thunder Spurs game as well as the Oklahoma City Blue Erie Bayhawks game and kind of what is going on in the playoff scenario with them and the rest of that league. But kicking it right off with this Thunder game, finally they get to their last game of their first slate of the season you know you have 36 in this first half 36 in the next half a little bit wonky here because teams such as the Spurs they had a whole week where coronavirus kind of plagued their team so they didn't play an entire 32 games I believe through their first half they've only played 36 but this was the Thunder's 36 game so finish this one off strong you get a week off and then you get right back into action on next Thursday and they were able to do that so they get the W 107 to 102. They finish off their first half with a record of 15 and 21. That is good for 12th in the Western Conference. They jump the Sacramento Kings. They still have an upcoming game, so there is some possibility that there could be a tie again. But as of right now, they're the number 12 seed. And for the San Antonio Spurs, they are the surprise team pretty much every year. Their roster never looks like it's constructed to be amazing but you got coach Greg Popovich there and you get the W's regardless so they're above teams such as the Dallas Mavericks such as the Golden State Warriors they're 18 and 14 so seven seed however since they do have 40 games in their back end of the season they don't ever have two days off once they start after this all-star break it's full steam ahead for them so they're probably not gonna be able to catch their breasts at all so maybe it's a blessing in disguise that they kind of are up here right now because I think honestly in retrospect they're probably going to wish they played four more games now so they could have four more rest days later on in the season but yeah so they end up dropping here still good at their record though and Oklahoma City they completely changed how they were playing against the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday they just couldn't start strong they were down 36 to 18 in the first quarter wasn't like that at all they started Pretty well, 16 to 16 through the first six minutes, and they were shooting a lot from deep. They were trying it in uh, against the Mavericks, but it just wasn't working. For their first six made shots came from downtown, and they kept kind of looking towards there the whole quarter. But it ended off with a little bit of some fireworks here because Shea Gilgis Alexander he ends up finding himself to the free throw line, and he gets in the record books, 2,000th career point in a Thunder jersey came in this matchup, and it was his 100th game too. So how fitting there. That's 20-point average across all those, so that is amazing. That's not very difficult math. Makes it pretty easy for all the stat heads out there, but he gets that through, and, you know. But in that second quarter, they kind of slipped a little bit behind because the Spurs got on a 10-2 run. They got an early 5-point lead, and they got their lead up as much as 20 to six that was their run and it's because the thunder they start out two of 11 from the floor they kind of start exchanging runs after that gigantic one and the thunder they were down 11 points spurs up 61 to 58 and it was because the spurs were just out shooting them they shot 49 percent to the thunders 39 percent they had a rebound advantage 30 to 20 there and the only real person who was hot for OKC was Shea Gilgis Alexander. So 
He played 17 minutes out of the 24, had 13 points on 4 of 9 shooting, and had 4 assists as well. So he was really able to kind of get wherever he wanted, and he was getting a lot of foul calls too because he had 6 trips to the line, burying 5 of them. And heading into that second half, they just wanted to play very scrappy, and it worked because they start out with a Roby just punch steal. There's a rebound here. Roby's not having any of it. Just slam it right out of the man's hands. Get that loose ball and get on the other end as fast as possible. That's kind of this the whole energy you had there. So they got on a 12 to 2 run in a span of three minutes. They were only down two points, 70 to 68. And it got highlighted by an Isaiah Roby posterizer over Jakob Pertle. He got it around the free throw line. Just ran right in. Pirtle's not fast enough, so if anything, he was just trying to get out of the way. Didn't want to just fall down off a poster. Roby did some damage to him, though, so he put a dent in the rim. Probably put a dent in Pirtle's face on the way up there. But yeah, amazing. Kind of that sound play that everyone needed to rally around to catch some more momentum. And they even were able to get some more points going. They got up four because SGA stirred on five consecutive points. But then the Spurs, they got their rhythm in sync right when they needed to. They were still up heading into the fourth, but it was just a 3.84 to 81 lead. So they sacrificed eight points in that quarter. Didn't want to do that in the fourth, though. They couldn't really stop it, though, because Mike Muscala and Kenrich Williams were doing some real work. Mike Muscala, top of the key master, able to lurk back there. No one seems to guard him in fast break situations. And he gets him. And then same with Kendrick Williams. People kind of sleep on the man. And that's when you get his beautiful cuts inside. And that's exactly what ends up happening. So they were up a point with eight minutes to go. And everyone just kept returning fire with each other for about two minutes. Until that six minute mark. But then Muscala got active again. SJ started driving in. Eight point lead. Probably their biggest lead for that time being around, you know, the five-minute mark here. And San Antonio, they were able to get that deficit down to two, but then Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he buried a beautiful left-wing triple. He had Patty Mills draped all over him. It did not matter. That is a bucket. Put him up five points. And San Antonio, they wanted to try to respond here, and this is going down, like, final minute of the game. They only got it down to four, so... Really no difference from that SGA play. 50 seconds. Patty Mills, he tries going for the three. Nope, that is no good. And on the other end, Shea Gildas-Alexander was able to tick the clock down to 23.5 seconds. Hits both his free throws. That is going to seal the game for you. The crazy part about this, San Antonio actually outshot the Thunder from both areas. When you're looking entirely, they shot 47% to Oklahoma City's 44%. From three, they shot 32.5%. OKC shot 30%. But they fell victim to some of the Thunder's best strengths, which is getting to the line and creating turnovers. So the Thunder, they had 26 free throws attempted in this game, hit 21 of them. That crushes the Spurs. They only shot 12. They hit all of them. But that's nine points the Thunder collect right there. And that's already enough to give you that victory. Only winning by seven. Take those away. They lose the basketball game. 
and it's because they're able to just crash into people and you know with so many slashers and you don't even have diallo um you gotta throw that in there but they don't even have one of their best free throw creators in diallo they're still putting up these kind of numbers and it's because they're so physical that they have to get foul calls or else it's going to be ridiculous if they're playing by the rules that is a foul call some may call it weak but that's just the state of the game if you're getting whacked on your way up you're taking two shots at the free throw line and that's what has been going on to be quite honest with you and on defense they're pesky but they're not too physical to the point where they're getting calls every single play and that leads to some turnovers so san antonio they had 19 turnovers they are one of the best teams if not the best in the team and limiting turnovers here they're averaging like 11 a game up until thursday night so that hurt them a lot oklahoma city on the other end they got 26 points off of those turnovers and that was something that greg popovich kind of stated after the game as one of the big parts definitely was one of the main reasons why oklahoma city was able to topple san antonio in this game demar Derozan for the spurs was probably their best asset he had 20 points on 8 of 21 field goal shooting dejounte murray and patty mills pretty good sources of offense dejounte's more down low penetration patty mills can stretch it anyways murray drops 14 mills drops 13 points for the thunder though shea gilgis alexander he got his, you know, accolade here with the 2,000 points, but that didn't slow him down the final three. So I said, that's a clean 20-point average. That's definitely not true because he had 33 points in this game on 11 of 19 field goal shooting. He gets three rebounds and eight assists as well. Didn't catch his usual lucky strike. I don't even know if you call it lucky, but he didn't catch everything from three. There's been games where he's jacking up a ton. Only shot four times, but he made two of them. A lot of those you're talking step backs. And one of those threes, it was that crucial one over Patty Mills. You take that out, and you might be looking at a different end result here. But the main thing with him is just getting to the line. And he had six by halftime, ends up getting 10 tries by the final buzzer, making nine of those. That is really what he is elite at driving through. You know, the speed is not that De'Aaron Fox level. It's it's fast, but it gives him enough room to be a little bit unpredictable and change speeds whenever he wants at the drop of a finger, really, and that's what catches people off guard, and also the fact he's able to kind of just squirmish around defenses and get looks like do up and unders, crazy stuff over big guys. Like, who is doing that? What other guards are doing that all the time outside of Shea Gildas-Alexander? Normally, you're just looking at, you know, slash right in, do a crazy dribble move to get you in the lane and then you take your layup but he goes the extra step every single time that's what i love about him and whenever other people try helping out he's always the first one to notice that and hit up the open man but when he's feeling it hey he takes it on a double team and that's not a bad shot honestly percentage wise that's not a bad shot for him to be taking so he ends up doing amazing again mike muscala he lives up to his moneymaker mike status yet again 18 points on the night, 7 of 13 from the floor. Gets all of it from three, though, for the most part. Of those seven made shots, four of them were from distance. Four of seven on the game. Just so great at hiding around people, man. And that's something that I always try telling you guys on the podcast. You guys definitely already know. I just reiterate that crap all the time. But I'm dead serious. That's one of the best aspects to him. He's able to remain kind of relatively low on other defenses pecking orders like they'll let his three ball go 
And then what do you know? He has 18 points, your second leading scorer. And now what? You don't have anything else to look to. So he's that spark off the bench who oftentimes gets underlooked, but he's able to perform. And this is just yet another game where he's balling out. Could be useful on any playoff lineup. I don't know a single team who wouldn't want someone with Mike Muscala's skill set. Same with Lou Dort. Who doesn't want a 3 and D player who can also penetrate? He has 15 points on this game, but more importantly, four steals. Last time he had four steals or above it, January 15th. That's when he had six. Kind of went relatively low from that point on, but gets up against the Spurs with four Tapping off his first half with a thunderous defensive outing. And he kept his thing going. You know, against the Spurs last time, you remember, he hit that game winner. He still had three triples in this game. So it wasn't like he just was not a perimeter option. He by all means was. And another dude who was able to kind of be a jolt was Isaiah Roby. He put his driving skills on a platter, getting moved up to that five position when you have Al Horford resting on back-to-backs all the time. And on Jakob Pertl, not fast enough. Lucas Samanich, whenever he wants to slide up, not enough. They had Keita Bates-Diop, who I believe might have been on the Austin Spurs when they faced off against the Blue. But anyways, he was all right, but he can't take him either. There's no one really on that Spurs team that can match speeds with him at that position. You may say Keldon Johnson but Keldon Johnson has to be on Darius Baisley in this one. So he had free roaming pretty much of the entire floor. Like people were sagging off. He was able to drive in. That's where he got that crazy dunk on Jakob Pertle, just slashing when everyone was kind of doubting him. And he's so good at making plays. Whenever he's driving to the lane, he's always looking to pass. And that's something that's kind of just been infectious with this group here. They're able to get 20 plus assists on this game, by the way. So the streak is reignited again after that 13 assist game against uh the Mavericks there but yeah you want a new trend Isaiah Roby he's been great and even rebounding wise like there have been times where he just gets killed he had three offensive rebounds on this game so great for Isaiah Roby he just is able to plug in anywhere you want him to you know getting that 12 points and then even getting those two steals on defense Darius Baisley he was also, he was good. I mean, he shot 3 of 10 from the floor, so it's one of his lesser quality games on that side. Gets that double-digit night again. Like, he always gets around 11 to 12 points, and you never really notice until you look at the box score. That's what I've tended, like, tend to see with Darius Paisley. Even when he gets to, like, 22. When he had 22, it didn't feel like he had 22. He just gets it so effortlessly in strings of, like, 30 seconds that coming so fast it's kind of hard to keep track of him anyways with those 11 points he gets another double double had 10 rebounds that is the most that was on the entire team and that is tied for the most seen from both teams san antonio's lead man also had 10 rebounds too also had kenan Williams. he was great going inside for his nine points and just looking down everyone was pretty quality here Ty Jerome, he shot 0 of 4 on this game. This is the first time he's kind of showed a little bit of wear and tear, but just getting used to things, you know. He'll be back and better for the next one. He really just was not able to find his stride from downtown, and that's where he gets a lot of his points anyways, so that's kind of why you saw that. Anyways, OKC, they get that much-needed break 
at 15 and 21. They play next Thursday against the Dallas Mavericks again. They are 18 and 16, so get to see them. Fresh pair of legs for pretty much everybody. You're going to see Hamadou Diallo back, most likely. George Hill, a little bit more of a question mark there. So we'll see what goes on. Also, depending on how the OKC Blue do, you might see some of their players that are dropped down come back up with the big boys. One of them who already did, as I've stated, Josh Hall. He was actually on the sidelines for that past game, didn't play. It's just nice to see the 20-year-old be with the main squad. But you know, you still got some other guys with the Oklahoma City Blue right now that could be playing with the Thunder. I'm talking Moses Brown, Alexi Pokachevsky. Those two still are playing with the team, and they had a game yesterday against the Erie Bayhawks. Now, if you guys have been listening, I've been propping these guys up for a pretty long while here. I mean, the Erie Bayhawks' top dogs in the entire league came in at 10-3. and OKC Blue came in at 8-5. and They pretty much needed a victory here to secure their playoff spot because they could have secured their playoff spot actually yesterday. They didn't even need to win the game. However, the G League Ignite played up against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, and if the Valley Vipers would have lost that game, we would have been in. Because the Valley Vipers, they do not own a tiebreaker, and the best they could have done with a loss would have been eight and seven. The worst the Blue can do is eight and seven. So stars all align here. There are four teams left in competition: the Blue, the G League Ignite, the Vipers, as well as the Lakeland Magic. We own tiebreakers over the Magic as well as the Grande Vipers. Don't have it over that G League team though. And the Vi- the Vipers, they were able to win. They beat the Ignite team, so now they have, they're they not in, so they had to beat the Bayhawks to clinch it last night, and they were just not able to do it, it was, it was by just a hair, they could not defeat them, they ended up losing this game 116 to 113, so the Bayhawks, they are number one in the league right now with an 11 and 3 record, while the Blue are 8 and 6 on this season, and Oklahoma City, They actually were pretty, pretty good in the first quarter. We saw them up against their last opponents. Kind of shrivel up was not the case here because they got inside at ease. Eight of their first 11, that's something you're always accustomed to. Difference is, Bayhawks were not really matching them, so they got on a quick run. Ended up building up to 19-7, so they had a 12-point lead just five minutes into this contest. In Erie, they you know they wanted to make their presence known. They dwindled it down to six. But then Rob Edwards comes in. He's playing off the bench now, and he just ignites everybody on the team. They even coined him the microwave. Now, you know, I'm not going to lie. I feel like I've been calling Rob Edwards a microwave for a while, but the commentator for this game even used it. So that's how you know that Rob Edwards means serious business. So he strolls in, buries two triples in a row to get you back up 12 points. And then it kind of just turned into, you know, firing shots back and forth. Oklahoma City Blue shouldn't have been that upset with their first quarter performance because they were up 8 points, 36 to 28. And Antonius Cleveland probably was your star from the first quarter. He ended up having 6 points and 3 assists. All of those 6 points came inside. And since he was slashing, he had to get help going towards him. That's how he's able to get the kickouts in and pass down low to some of these other bigs. 
that you guys already know about. We're talking, you know, the Moses Browns and the Yurt Sevens, whether it was a basket or it was free throws. I know Xavier Simpson also was doing a great job penetrating in quarter number one. But going on to quarter number two, I mean, you got 36 minutes. You got to keep your head in the game. And they kind of slipped up a bit because the Erie Bayhawks, they got pretty hot from the three-point arc. They were able to nail six of their ten tries in the quarter. And it really helped them kind of get back in. And actually, by the end of the second quarter, they were up four points. 66-62 to 62 for them. Pretty miraculous. They ended up outscoring the Blue 15 points in that quarter. 41-26 to 26 is what you are talking about right there. And the reason why they were able to kind of storm out in front, it wasn't solely based off the free, like the field goal percentages because the um, the Bayhawks, they shot 57% in the second, 15 to 26, while the Blue, they shot 11 to 22 for 50%. So you're looking at the extra possessions they kind of garnered, and that was because of the glass play. I mean, they out-rebounded them 14 to 8. But also, I mentioned that three, you know, six threes, Blue only hit four. Kind of mattered with the free throw line, though. No free throws made for the Blue. The Erie Bayhawks were able to can all three of their attempts. So that's how they kind of storm in. But, you know, with the Blue, they're always kind of set to make some sort of surge, whether it's the beginning of the game, middle of the game, end of the game. They can do it anytime you want, and they can do it in a matter of a minute or two. So you always have to stay ready for them. However, that's not the case. Tables got turned. Erie Bayhawks, they were the ones hot entering the second half. They went on a 17-4 run in the first four minutes. That's a 17-point lead that they just garnered here, and that's dangerous territory. You cannot be allowing teams to be up that much. That's just simply how it is. That's exactly what happened in their last game. They found themselves in a gigantic hole. I believe it got expanded to about like 36 when they played the Raptors 905. Wasn't as bad here. The biggest lead that they had actually was 18, so they didn't get much more out of that run. But, you know, the blue, they needed to kind of get back in. And who did they get in? They got Rob Edwards. He puts his name on the buzzer. He's checking in. He gets you five straight points. Pull up three. Gets you a layup. He has been so, so impressive. So he's able to tick it down. Game goes to single digits with two minutes to go. And it even got down to seven points to start the fourth quarter. 90 to 83 Bayhawks lead. So that tells you how much damage that, you know, putting one player in the game can really help out. Now, obviously, you can't just blame this or put all the credit into Rob Edwards. But, you know, both times he got checked in was a gigantic positive effort. And he really was the commander of both runs here. So entering the fourth, obviously, Blue needed to make a statement. And they did. You know, they had a little bit of a jarred up possession they had the ball um to start the quarter and they had to take an inbounds right under the basket they find melvin frazier on a cut he's not missing a wide open layup with a seven foot two inch wingspan are you kidding me so he gets it on the other side you got an omer yurt seven swat he swats it right towards the gatorade tubs so down five you get the basketball back blank play eerie they get on fire they score seven straight points 12 point lead yet again blue they couldn't let up here they got too far into this game so they got antonius cleveland back in action he was shooting it from downtown he wasn't trying to force it around the basket so he gets a three and he even found rob edwards in the corner for a shot you know it's going in rob edwards is too consistent when left wide open 
So it is a six-point Bayhawks lead with two minutes left. And Edwards was not done yet. He goes in, helps you get five more points. Their run, 12-3. to One-point game with four minutes to go. And nothing was really moving around here. One possession lead for the Bayhawks with just a minute left. So they were looking anywhere they could to get a basket, and they got one. They got a three with 50 seconds to go to put you up a little bit here. So get that two possession lead in the blue on the other end. They cannot capitalize on the situation. So if you're the Bayhawks, you just got to kind of sit around with the basketball. You trim everything down, get up a prayer, really. I mean, you're up five points, so that's a pretty solid cushion. However, that's not exactly what happened. They just missed their shot, and, you know, time was kind of of the essence here. The Blue needed a quick shot, so you know who gets the basketball? It's Rob Edwards again. Who would have been surprised? So he strolls up the floor, pull up three, top of the key. It's going in 113-111 to for Erie's side. They get the basketball, and OKC just wants to foul him. You make it a free throw contest. Maybe you saw something here. Coach Gibbs saw something, and they tested him. It kind of worked out because they split the free throws three-point game. But Erie, they return the favor. They get Antonius Cleveland on the line. He hits both shots. One-point Erie Bayhawks lead. They foul Cassius Winston, the man that the Thunder picked and then traded. He was not going to let this opportunity go to waste, so he hits the first, goes up for the second, makes it. Three point game there's only 5.9 seconds to work with for the blue so they pretty much need their shot coming in right now alexi pokachevsky was the man inbounding it you're talking about the right hash of the floor and who do you think is trying to get the ball here it's rob edwards it's designed he's coming from the top of the key he's kind of going down to the baseline wrapping around to get to the right corner and probably get the basketball around the right wing to hoist up a shot you had two screens being set however the play took way too long to develop so the man who got it was phil booth the replacement for chasson randall he gets the basketball and he is covered by two guys so he tries going up for a pump fake but by that point you already are latched on to two people so he goes up gets his stuff just smacked tries getting it again but the time pretty much over with so the Erie Bayhawks were able to just barely survive the basketball game and you know I would say this spells trouble for the blue but they are really one of the better teams when it comes to situations here because of the tiebreakers that they have they only are down on one of these which is the G League Ignite so if either the Vipers or the Lakeland Magic end up losing I think the Lakeland Magic play a game today and tomorrow they are 8-5, and five, so they can actually lose one of these games. If they split, they make the playoffs. However, for the other teams you're talking about, G League Ignite, if they drop a game, they're pretty much done for because they only have seven victories. The Vipers, if they end up dropping their game, I believe they're playing the Santa Cruz Warriors, so you know we're playing them. We're going to catch them on a back-to-back -back set. If they cannot prevail against the Warriors, they're out in the blue. They clinch it. So really, you kind of just hope that the Lakeland Magic just lose both of their last two 
and same goes for the Vipers. If they can kind of fall apart, I know they're on a pretty solid win streak right now, but yeah, that, that's really what you're talking about here. I mean, you can also, as I mentioned, look at the Ignite squad and see how they do in their games, but you know, it will be kind of tough to see how everything is a little situated here. So keep monitor on that. I will definitely probably have to mention the G League standings in tomorrow's podcast because it is going to be a very close race. And, you know, we play on Sunday, but there are games that are going to be played on Saturday. Those will be just as pivotal as ours. And, you know, we'll see kind of what happens in this next one against Santa Cruz. Hopefully they might be exhausted from playing the Vipers. And hopefully it shouldn't matter. You know, if the Vipers fold, you are, you're in. And that's, that's as simple as it gets. So, you want that, clearly, get a W on Sunday, and you don't even have to worry about it. They were so close against the Bayhawks, and it just didn't work out for them. I think the main reason why is because Moses Brown has just been the center of every defense's game plan now. He probably had his worst shooting performance, 2 of 10 in this game. He gets a double-double with 10 points and 21 rebounds. Nine of those came offensively, so, you know, he was still just using his size to his advantage. It didn't matter who you're throwing on them. I mean, they had a lot of very solid bigs here. Omari Spellman is the main one. You had uh, Yoli Childs, too, from BYU. They didn't actually play Winyan Gabriel or Jordan Bell, though, so that's something you can kind of look towards. A little bit less of a lineup here, and, you know, sadly, we're not able to get things done. That's the main guy you look at, though. Yurt7, he played solid. 6 of 11, 2 of 3 from downtown. He is so good at his face-up game, guys. And even gets you nine rebounds. The man, though, from this game was Rob Edwards. And I don't know. If he doesn't have NBA attention, this whole league is just, the NBA is just a joke. I mean, 23 points, 8 of 14 shooting, 6 of 8 from downtown. And he's got defenders just all over him. But he's still able to find the mark on most of his attempts. Antonius Cleveland was good, too. 20 points, 7 of 16, 2 of 6 from downtown. So it's nice to see him kind of open the door back up. I know this was not the best performance from him, but it's some improvement here, and I mean, Phil Booth was good, he had 15 points coming in that starting unit, and Xavier Simpson too, 10 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists, he pretty much put up that stat line last game, so yeah, he's, he's really good at distributing the basketball, there's a reason why he's a starting point guard on this roster, Alexei Pogachevsky, he was 3 of 8 in this game, played 30 minutes, 1 of 5 from distance, so only got 7 points off that, Six rebounds and assist, and he had four turnovers. So, you know, he's getting those reps in. I think maybe late game, even though he wasn't feeling it a ton, Coach Gibbs wanted to give him that opportunity to get some more late game reps for when he moves back up. But, yeah, that's probably why he was out there to cap off this game. And, you know, on the bench, there wasn't a ton of action. I know Jalen Horde led the team last game. He only had four points. Melvin Frazier Jr. comes back, gives you six points, two rebounds an assist as well, and Ryan Woolridge, I mean, he did okay, four points, three rebounds, two assists, and, you know, he had a steal in there as well, and I think Woolridge's kind of minutes have been trickled down now with Brown back, as well as Phil Booth's emergence, I guess you could say, and same with Vincent Edwards, he looked great in these past couple contests, not the last game, but before that, yeah, he was great, only played five minutes, and he shot 0 of 3, so that's kind of what you're looking at. They shot great from three, so maybe they can carry it over against the Santa Cruz Warriors. They shot 14 of 35. That is 40%. Really just came down to how they were doing elsewhere. You know, 
It's going to be a tough one to swallow, but they need to get a victory here. They were pretty much a lock to make the playoffs, but they're in this just crazy spiral. They've just been dropping game after game. They've lost three in a row now, and if you lose this next one, you know, they may be packing their bags early, and, you know, it's pretty much going to be over with, and that's not something you want to see. These guys have been very great as a unit. I know as of late, since Jerome and everything's been moved around, has not been as prominent but they're getting back together and hopefully you're looking at a santa cruz warriors team who is not really all there that's really the uh the best thing you could potentially have so maybe you get a, a one-legged uh warrior squad you don't see jeremy lynn with them and hey you get that w and forget about you know their, your struggles get ready for the next games i think if they even get a win now they're going to be in the bottom three seeds so they're going to be taking on one of the Raptors squads, the Bayhawks, or the Warriors, you know, maybe something crazy happens, the Warriors lose their next two, and you're looking at, like, a Bluecoats series, or Austin Spurs, preferably you're looking at the Delaware Bluecoats, but, you know, you, you need to look for the playoff spot first, so I'm going to be making sure to cover all of that, we got this one week break, so it's going to be exciting, telling you guys kind of some stories, maybe some trades, uh, speculations and everything like that so if you have any suggestions make sure to comment it to me i will definitely take a look at that make sure to click on my name in the description it will lead you to my twitter and you can talk to me there so other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's podcast i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya